My goal this morning is for you to see the spiritual preaching of the book of Joshua and why we're going to look at it like we're going to look at it. Then I want you to get some dates down to find out the historical time of this book. And then I want you to begin to understand the psyche of the Jewish people of this nation when they got to the River Jordan the second time. Joshua begins on a second trip to the River Jordan to go in. It was 38 years before that they made it to the shores of Jordan the first time. We know they didn't go in. But in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 27, this is the story of Jesus' teaching the two on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. Look at verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets... He, Jesus, interpreted to them all the scripture, the things, notice, concerning himself. That is a tremendous statement in the scripture. Because Jesus' form of teaching was to take these Old Testament books of prophecy, of which Joshua was one, and talk about himself. In other words, he interpreted, Jesus interpreted these Old Testament books in relation to New Testament truth. Now that's vital. That we put our glasses on to fully focus on these Old Testament stories, these narrative of Joshua, with the perspective of New Testament gospel of grace. If you don't do that, you'll look back at Joshua and you'll preach law out of Joshua. You'll preach law out of Genesis. Because there's a lot of law, the Ten Commandments, statements like God said, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you obey me, then you'll be blessed. That's a statement of law. You'll find it all through the Old Testament. And if you ignore grace in the New Testament, you'll interpret it wrong. So we're going to look at the book of Joshua with, with eyes of grace and eyes of the New Testament gospel. Do you understand that? That's how Jesus interpreted. So let's go on a little trip. Look up, if you're looking at your Bibles, look up from them, and I'll take you on a whirlwind tour of the spiritual interpretation of this entire story beginning down in Egypt. Egypt, in that they spent 400 years in slavery, is a picture, a spiritual viewpoint of the world and being lost without Christ down in Egypt. And we were all down in Egypt. Whether you got saved at 6 or 60, you spent some years in the world as a lost person, in darkness, in slavery. Well, the gospel came to you, no matter when it did in life, and you were led out of Egypt. You crossed over the Red Sea which is a picture of getting saved. I love it that it's the Red Sea. You were covered in the red blood of Jesus Christ, and you were led out of bondage. And notice, it was the work of God who did it. Moses stepped forward, he held the cane out, he lifted it up, the waters, you had nothing to do with that. You simply were on the shore when those waters split, And there was Charlton Heston leading you across that great sea of the Red Sea. 
Now, there are skeptics who said that that water at that time in that part of the sea was ankle deep. And you know the story of the young boy who was told that by his parents who came home from Sunday school and said that he had discovered a great miracle of God in the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. His parents said, well, you know the Red Sea was only knee-deep. And he said, yes, but the miracle was that God drowned the entire army of Pharaoh in knee-deep water. <laughs> so here's this great crossing, this moment we got saved. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you've never been born again, you're still in Egypt. Now, you may look like you're in a church, but you're in Egypt. You're not saved. So he led us out, and then he led us down to Sinai where we spent some time learning the law of God. And then from Sinai, and we'll look at the timetables. We won't look at it. I'll tell you the timetables. The date of that was, oh, 1446 B.C. That was the spring. It's held about the time of the Passover. The Passover came along and God passed over the children of Israel and led them out. That was 1446 B.C. B.C., it was in the spring. A million Jews took off from Egypt. They made it down to Mount Sinai. They spent 410 days there, over a year. 410 days they spent at Mount Sinai. They received the law. They built the tabernacle. They got all the Jewish regulations of how to handle yourself in the desert. A lot of things happened that I'm not going to tell you about at Mount Sinai, but they finally left. 410 days later, 400, uh, let me get this down, 25 days later, no, 425 days after leaving Sinai, they arrived at the River Jordan. So they took some time, a year or so, and got up to the River Jordan. Now, the wilderness that they traveled through to get to the Jordan River, and they got there, The land of Canaan that God intended for them to go right in is not heaven. I don't care what the Canaan land boys sing, whoever else sing about Canaan land being heaven, it is not. That is inaccurate. We know that because there are enemies in the land. There are fortified cities in the land, and when you get to heaven, there won't be any enemies left. So what is the land of Canaan? It is the victorious Christian life. It is God's plan for you to conquer the fortified cities and defeat the giants in your life. Now we're going to find out, and I'm being very general in my survey of this, so I'm not going to spend time But you'll find that the land of Canaan is the victorious Christian life. The passing over the Jordan is a different passing over than the Red Sea. There actually is the feet of the priests touching the water of the Jordan River. And only after they touched it with their feet, then it did separate. So there's a matter of involvement now of human responsibility. And I'll tell you what it is before you think I'm going to go to law. It is to fight the good fight of faith. 
It is to believe that God wants you to possess the land. It is to believe that He doesn't want your Christian life to be dry and dead and one of defeat. The manna was a temporary supply. It was not meant to be the regular diet of the Christian. But they got to the Jordan River and they didn't believe. I want you at this point to go to Exodus. I'm sorry, Numbers, where we're going to pick up the story. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Let's see why they didn't go in. Let's read some details about the story. So Numbers chapter 13. Now, while you're turning there, let me finish the narrative. So at at the Jordan River, they ran into problems that we'll see in a minute. And because they didn't believe that God had given them the land, they were sent back out into the wilderness for 38 more years. They'd spent a couple years getting up to Canaan. So that's where the 40 years comes in. 38 more years out in the desert. This is a picture of a Christian who is living in the desert, living apart from the victorious Christian life that God wants wants them to enter in. They've been presented with the truth of grace, that they've died with Christ, buried with Christ, rose with Christ, and they're, in a sense, to one degree or the other, are going to attempt to do this on their own. And they're launched back into a desert. Now, there's one big message out in the desert, in the wilderness, that was drilled into the minds and hearts of the Jews. And this is the message. We have failed. We have failed. We have failed. We have failed. And we'll see how that wraps around once we look at the story in Exodus and get the mindset of the people. Exodus, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Now this is the first trip to Jordan. This is the first 125 days to get up to this Kadesh Barnea, and they're right at the river Jordan. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the... Notice, which I am giving... To the people of Israel, God says, From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one chief among them. Well, how many tribes do we have? We have 12. So we have 12 spies. 12 is God's number for divine government. It is perfection in ruling. Uh, We get to the book of Revelations When God sends out the 144,000, that's 12 times 12,000 to witness the gospel in the last times. It is God setting up his kingdom on this earth. So they send in 12 spies. Uh, Even though you know the story, I still want you to look at it with me. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Panah. According to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people. And I'm not going to bog us down in the names. So if you were looking forward to having me try to pronounce these names, you're going to be disappointed. 
Look with me as it finishes down at verse 17. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, notice, it was Moses who said this to them. God never told Moses to tell them to form this rubric, if you will, of questions. I want you to see that the problem in crossing over the Jordan the first time by the 12 spies was first begun by Moses himself. In a matter of human reasoning began to enter in to the mind of Moses, which he communicated to the 12 spies, in that I want you to look for these things when you go in there. Now God had told them, I have what? Given you the land. So if I've given you the land, what part of human reasoning or human effort do you take into the land with you? Zero. Notice the number of questions that Moses told them to ask in verse 18. He says, go up and go up to the hill country. See what the land is. Number one, whether the people dwell in it are strong and weak. I ask the question again, what does it matter? Number two, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Well, God had already told them that this was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Moses, you're thinking too much. Number three in verse 19, or the end of verse 18, whether there are few or many, doesn't matter. Verse 19, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether, I've got that out, and whether there are cities that are dwell in our camps or are they strongholds? Are they little tents or are they big walls? In verse 20, question five, whether the land is rich or poor. Number six, whether there are trees in it or not. You might ask that question after you've been looking at wilderness for a couple years. Listen to what they said. Six questions. The number of man is six. This is man's reasoning, man's attempt. This is why the wilderness makes sense to Christians who are law-based. I do this, God does that. I pray, He blesses. I give, He blesses. I serve, He blesses. That's wilderness thinking. I tell you what else is wilderness thinking. That the giants in your life are too strong and they've been there too long and the, and the fortresses will never fall. Never fall. I can never overcome this sin. I can never overcome that bent in my life. It's a pocket that even God can't conquer. Human reasoning coming in when God says the land is yours. I will always have this deficiency. I'm writing the second book that I'm, I'm working on now. And the opening chapters is the fortresses of Dianola. And to the north of Charash are mighty fortresses celebrated by marble and granite slabs of walls rising up out of a cold fog that can never come down. 
And the closing line of that paragraph is this. That hairline cracks in that wall appeared the morning that Bisbee crossed over into Sharash. Unseen and unknown, the cracks of his strongholds began to crumble. And when you got saved, these fortresses and mighty giants in your land trembled and have cracks in them. And it wouldn't take much to push them over. Here it is, six questions by, by Moses. And I think Moses started the problem. And then he says in verse, the end of verse 20, he says, Be of good courage, and by the way, bring back some fruit of the land. Now is the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. And again, you might ask that when you've been eating manna for a couple years. So they went up, verse 21, they spied out the land. Uh, they spent 40 days up there, down in verse uh, 24. They, you know, they bring up some big clusters uh, of grapes down in the valley of Escrow. And uh, at the end of 40 days, in verse 25, uh, 40 days they returned from spying out the land. So verse 26, they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Parah at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them of the congregation. And we all know the old children's song, ten brought a bad report, evil report, two brought a good report. And they brought back word to the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27, listen carefully to what they say. It says, We came up to the land of which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. What are they looking at? Not the promises of God. They're looking at what you and I would call reality. Preacher, you can preach about the promises of God, but I live in a real world where these people are strong. The walls are there. Monday morning stuff. You can dance and sing all you want on a Sunday, but Monday morning comes and this stuff is real. Notice verse 28. How are the people that dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large? And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amakin dwell in the land of Negev and the Hittites and the Jesusites and the Amorites. I always smile when I read a list of that. There was an old lieutenant uh, in the Navy. His name was Richard Chenette. And he would teach our Bible studies, and he was a tall, thin man. And he would always get to this. At one point, he had a dry sense of humor. You never could tell when he was making a joke. But he got to this point, and he kind of huffed, and he looked down, and he, and he read it like this. The Hittites, and the Jesuits and the Amorites, and uh, the Mosquito Bites, and they dwell in the high country. Anyway, it was, it was a, a, a rare moment for Richard, and we just we enjoyed that. I don't remember to this day anything Richard taught us spiritually, but I do remember about the mosquito bites of the land. So the ten brought a bad report, but Caleb quieted the people. He and Joshua were the only two. Now, I want you to see something about numbers here. We're going to talk a lot about numbers in the book of Joshua because numbers have great significance in the Bible. Number 10 is the number of man's responsibility to keep the law. 
Ten Commandments. It is man's responsibility to keep God's law. And it would be ten spies in their responsibility to keep God's law that would look at it with their own human efforts and would say, no way, no way. I lived for 20 plus years as a Christian working on my responsibilities to please God and do what was right. And I lived in a wilderness of failure over and over again because the law can never get you into Canaan land. Those ten spies said, no way. Legalistic Christianity says, true victory over sin pockets in our life and sin in our life is a pipe dream. Oh, we'll get it when we get to heaven. Those who live in that kind of Christianity say grace, grace lowers the standard. (laughs) I would argue and say grace raises the standard to a place where true victory can actually be found. Where you and I who would lose our temper, cuss somebody out. Now look at them in love and acceptance. Where we used to judge people for being better or worse than we are. Now we just look at them with great love. Grace raises us to a standard of victory over the the stuff inside of us that would kill us and drag us down. The bitterness, the meanness, the self-centeredness, the being selfish continually. It's where we're at. At least that's where I'm at. Maybe you are too. True grace in the land is victory over these giants. But if you're part of the ten and you want to give human effort to your Christianity, march right back into the desert because God has a big lesson for you in the desert. You will never raise to the milk and honey land. You will fail. You know, when I crossed over the Jordan personally, this is a moment for all Christians to come to where you abandon yourself to full grace and you, 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 you literally say, I will no longer try to be a good Christian. I'm just not going to try anymore. I'm just, if if God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. And when you cross over that moment in your life, when you stop trying and you cross over into that land, now you got a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn in that land. The lessons aren't over. The book of Joshua is going to teach us a lot about entering into that grace because it just isn't going over the Jordan. There's, There's tremendous things you need to learn. But you have to be at a point where you're like, you know what? I can't live the Christian life. I just can't. I can't. It's almost like a, a mental breakdown in a spiritual setting. Is it not? You just give it up. I want you to look at what Jake, uh, Caleb says in verse 30. says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Look, let us go up at once. Let's go now. Let's occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Who was Caleb looking at? God. Who was Joshua looking at? God. And when you're looking at God, all things are possible. Even though you failed at something all your life, that which is impossible to you is possible with God. We were at the uh, lakeside 
yesterday, and uh, Ed and Kenny found a big branch they wanted to bust. And so some of you have seen the video, and, and so they got on each side of this massive branch and picked out an oak tree that they were going to run into to break the branch in half. Now, we all wanted them to run at full speed, never letting go of the branch, and run through the tree. That would have been the manly thing to do, but they, they pulled up about five feet before and threw the branch into the tree, which was ineffective, but what was wonderful that happened was that the tree full of acorns released most of its acorns on Ed and Kenny's head, <laughs> which made it all the better because they don't have hair to block them from the pain of the acorn. And we watched, I mean, it was like slapstick comedy at its best. <laughs> Benny was roaring. We were all were laughing. This is about as futile as it is for you to live the Christian life. You just try to break that branch. You never can break. And all you get is acorns on your head. And finally you get tired and you pull out God's big chainsaw and you just cut it up easily. Okay. Wasn't sure where that enter in at, but I might as well get it over with. Notice verse 32. So they brought, notice verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. And and you kind of know the rest of the story. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 3. What was the mindset of the Jewish people after 38 years? And by the way, you know the story. The story goes that God swore in his displeasure with them that none of them would enter into Canaan land except Joshua and Caleb. Only two. The two spies that gave the good report were allowed to go in. That entire generation of men died and their carcasses were strewn in the desert itself. None of them would go in. Look, God takes the gospel and grace extremely serious. He has no pleasure in those who come to the place where they see grace and go back into law. Notice, this is the mentality of the Israelites when they got there 38 years later. They were children of the fall. They were children of those who had refused to go in. There was such desire, there was such fervor, there was such passion within them to obey God, follow God, and just believe God that He'd given them the land, that they followed Joshua right across that Jordan. And it took 38 years of a generation learning, I have failed, 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 and I'm sick of it. This is their mindset. This is the mindset of the Christian who finally enters into grace. When I hear folks say I'm trying this and I'm trying that, I think to myself, keep on trying, old boy, because you're just going to keep failing. Someday you're going to get sick of it. Someday you're going to have a breakdown. Hopefully someday you'll enter in to what God calls rest. This is their mentality, and you've got to see it. Notice Hebrews chapter 3, beginning down in verse 12. Take care, be careful, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This is Christians, these are believers who have an evil, unbelieving heart. See how serious God takes it? 
We who are saved, once you're shown grace, not to enter into grace, not to enter into the life of the cross and the life of Christ, to refuse and go back into that mindset of trying to please God with your efforts. That's an evil and unbelievable. We think of evil, and it is. The, the sins we think are evil. It is evil not to believe God when he shows you the truth about grace and about the land and about true victory over your sin. Notice, leading you, take care lest any of you, and if there be in you any evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as you, it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I take verse 13 at the end, meaning the sin of trying to live for God. If he's provided Canaan land, it's a sin not to go in. It's rebellion to live in the wilderness. For we have come to share in Christ. Now the writer of Hebrews is clearly referencing Joshua. He's preaching out of Joshua as a prophetic book. He's applying Canaan land to Christ. For we all share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now notice verse 15. We use it in evangelism, but that's not the application in the verse itself. It has nothing to do with evangelism. This is a verse for Christians. As it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. How many times have we shared the gospel with lost people and said, this verse, this verse is for the Christian. Notice verse 16. For we, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? is talking about the first entry into Canaan land. Was it not all those who led, left Egypt led by Moses, with whom he was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, sinned by not entering in, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, to whom he did swear that they would not enter into his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because they didn't believe. It's always the deal. It's a sin of unbelief. Keep reading in verse four, chapter 4. Therefore, I'm giving you a spiritual context for the land of Canaan and the whole study of Joshua. You ready? Therefore, while the promise of entering into his rest still stands, let us fear. Let us take this extremely serious. Only you know if you're living a Christian life according to your efforts. Do you believe that God blesses you because you're here today? Or did you come here knowing you're fully blessed in Christ? This mentality is hard to get away from when you've been sitting under it for decades. Do you believe you're going to get some kind of blessing because you gave your offering today, which I hope you did? Do you believe by sharing the gospel with someone that God will 
truly bless you in some special way? Or are you so blessed with Christ that you can't help but sharing the gospel? So you have two different Christians doing exactly the same thing. One's doing it out of a law-based mentality to get something from God. One can't stop from doing it because they see how much God has already given them and that it's based on grace. Verse 1, chapter 4, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So as we spend the next year or two, and I'm preaching over and over to you about grace and about the land and about the cross and about entering in and about surrounding the cities of great fortitude, about crossing over, about putting your your feet on the necks of kings. When I talk about the Ark of the Covenant and how that pictures the message gospel, the, the message of the cross, and you see and you see and you see some of you will listen and believe and be set free. Some of you sitting right next to them will listen and not believe and the message will not benefit you. It's a warning. A couple more verses. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swear, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he says, although his works we're finished from the foundation of the world. <laughs> Message of the gospel, grace is finished, it's done. There's no verse in Joshua where he promises to give it to him. He says, I have given you this land. I have given you victory. It is yours. Believe. The only thing that holds you back is you don't believe. You want to still embrace human effort.